0: Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the MC Lars podcast, the bi-weekly long-form podcast where I talk to fellow rappers, musicians, writers, educators, and DIY mavericks about their creative processes and influences. Today is Monday, January 4th, 2021. Happy New Year. This is episode 115. Now, Sometimes I talk to people outside of the realm of the tagline for my podcast, but this dude this week, Scott Shoulder, is a creative person in that lawyers have to be creative. They have to connect worlds, decipher language, find truth, and these are all things we talk about on this podcast. My dad's career before he became an artist was as a lawyer as a corporate law lawyer doing mergers and acquisitions. So he's always given me perspective and sometimes legal help as I've built up my MC Lars business. And I really appreciate that. And part of my undergrad plan as an English major was maybe to be pre-law, maybe go to law school, but it didn't work out exactly as I planned because life is random, as the last year has shown us. And so Scott talks a lot about his journey as a music fan, uh, his love of underground DIY music. He talks about how we connected through DJ Rostar, who was a DJ on Adobe Radio, which was one of the original iTunes uh, internet radio stations that played my music a lot, and I met Rostar through my first manager back in the day. But anyway, Scott and I were trying to do this episode for months uh, in real life, and then COVID happened. We've been talking about doing this episode forever. And so I'm excited to finally release it. Um, He works with a law firm called Cowan Debates, Abrahams and Shepherd, And he works as one of the litigation attorneys. So he's a smart dude. And I ask him a lot of hypothetical questions. And it's interesting how, you know, anyone in the entertainment industry, it can be messy when there's money involved, like bands sometimes break up because there's an issue with contracts. Like I've had people I thought were my friends that I worked with on projects who ended up not being reliable or not, you know, being trustworthy. And it's it's, it's a hard thing. Sometimes you need a lawyer to sort things out. So. It was interesting to talk about this stuff with Scott in the context of black metal bands, um, where the members actually murder each other, <laughs> like the repercussions of that in terms of copyrights. We talk about memes, we talk about all sorts of stuff, and we talk about copyright overhaul. And he talks about how it will be a watershed moment one day when they redo the copyright law to help catch up with things like. Virtual reality and internet and how the last one was a few years ago. So yeah, Scott's a cool guy So this is a interview with him. This episode is brought to you by the patreon larshan's holler if you want to hear my patreon raps check out patreon.com slash i'm currently doing raps about all the movies and tv shows in the star wars canon this week i'm dropping my star wars rebel song it's the first one of the year the first patreon song of the year but i have tons of marvel songs lots of other star wars songs i did a narnia ep there's so much stuff you can only hear if you sign up at patreon.com slash mclar. So shout out to the new ones who signed up recently, Brad, John, and Bob. Shout out to the old ones, Jason, Melvin the Muppet, and Simon. So I asked a question on social media, what is your New Year's resolution? And I got some great responses. So let's go to the phone lines, y'all. I asked a question on social media. The Larson's drop knowledge just like Wikipedia. What you think about this or that, let me guess. These are the messages that some of y'all left.
1: Please leave a message after the tone.
0: So our first call is from Asif from Shaq News. They ran all the Stimulus Games tournaments in 2020, and Shaq News is a great website. Asif, what is your New Year's resolution?
1: Hey, Lars. It's Asif from Shack News and Army of Techno. My New Year's resolution is to not get mad at people on the Internet as much as I did this year. Uh, and then, yeah, what's your favorite gaming website, and why is it Shaq News? Happy New
0: Year. (laughs) That's a throwback to um, when we were doing the tournaments. I'd always be like, what's ICP's favorite album and why is it great, Malenko? Like when you (laughs) answer the question you're asking to influence (laughs) the answer. So thank you, man. That was tight. And shout out to Shaq News. And uh, I love you all. It's a great group of homies um, based in the Bay Area. They do video game reviews, but they have an awesome busy Twitch channel, and they had us play these Nerdcore games. Some of you may have caught the tournaments. It was so fun. Um, Nothing but love for them. Okay, our next call is my homie Ryan in Pittsburgh.
1: What's up MC Lars? This is Ryan Kelly calling you back from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My New Year's resolution this year is to be a little healthier. I got COVID this year and had some uh, surgeries and whatnot, so I want to be a little healthier and eat healthy this year. You know, Cause a healthy mind is a healthy body, and a healthy body is a healthy life. And, you know, I gotta be around to, for my little girls, you know? Best things in my life. Alright, Lars and Larsians, you guys have a wonderful new year. You, you can hear the littlest one in the background. Can you say hi, MC Lars? Hi, Zero! Hi, Beth! Hi, I love you guys!
0: Well, that was an unexpected guest appearance from one of Ryan's daughters. Thanks. Um, I didn't know you had COVID, dude. I, it's crazy hearing about people who have had it, friends, and it's just, oh, man. I hope you're doing okay. Eating healthy, that's a good plan. I've been trying to do that too. I'm trying to do intermittent fasting where I stop eating and then I wait um, Eight hours to eat again So I'm sorry No, I wait 16 hours So I eat within an eight hour period It actually gives me more energy It's just You're hungry in the morning And you can't snack at night But it is When I do it I feel like I'm in shape And I'm in training to run a marathon So that is my New Year's resolution uh, To be healthy too So uh, Thank you for calling in Ryan You are a good homie Okay So Our next caller is From Will in Queens A comedian And a homie who called in last week? And uh, Will Carey, he's a great comedian. Check it out.
1: Hey, Lars, this is Will. I'm calling from uh, New York City, specifically Astoria, Queen. Uh, my new my New Year's resolution is to continue to put out my my podcast every single week between awesome and disaster. See if I can. Who else I can get to be on the show? Uh, and then I'm also going to try to be a little more. Act- I'm going to be more active this year. Be a little bit healthier and uh, just generally try to improve myself in those two avenues. And, uh, and if it's safe, um, my band is going to play our first show. All right. Thanks, Lars.
0: First show. That is tight. And another healthy resolution. That's what's up. Good job, Will. All right. The next call is from Gracie's
1: mom. Yo, yo, yo. Gracie's mom in the house. My New Year's resolution is to drop 500 pounds of chocolate that I'm not going to eat. And continue to be a fabulous mom and be someone's prince charming, run away to the islands and get a million degrees that are like bachelor's and master's degrees and be a doctor of the world. I'm calling from my mom's basement and I'm locked down here in place
0: that is a very busy year. Thank you, Gracie's mom. Okay, we got one more call. This is from Ryan in Ohio.
1: Yo, this is Ryan Cullinan from Ohio. My New Year's resolution is to get that COVID 19 vaccination. And then I want to just hug everybody else who got that COVID 19 vaccination in 2021. That is what's up. Much love to everybody.
0: Thank you, Ryan. Um, also, check out Huge Huge on Spotify. I have a few students through the MC Lars Lit Hop Academy, and Ryan is one of them, and he's a great rapper and a great dude, so check that out. Okay, let's get into it. This is my interview with Scott Shoulder. We're going to end with a song by Dissection, which is a Swedish black metal band, death metal band, actually, and... Um, it comes up because we did the interview over Zoom. Scott was rocking one of their hoodies, so I was like, "What's the band?" So I checked it out. So this song is called "Maha Kali" about the Hindu goddess. So we're gonna play that after the interview. That's just for context. And uh, here we go. Mm-hmm. All right, my friends, welcome to another episode of the MC Lars podcast. I'm here with Scott Shoulder, a lawyer that I've known for a while, Peripherally,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, man. We've been talking about it since March, I think, and we all, we all know what happened in March, uh, and that our plans to, 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 do this in the back conference room of my, uh, of my office got derailed, and uh, so here we are, uh, six months later, and uh, we're doing it. It's great.
0: What made you want to go into law, and what made you curious about music law
2: specifically? Music law is kind of the reason I wanted to go to law school. Um, and then uh, t- things kind of like went a different direction and came back around to involving some music stuff, um, uh, you know, recently. So um, a- in college, when, when, you know, when you and I met, um, I was a journalism major. And, you know, I love writing um, and I figured that was a, a good way to go. Um, I-, I-, I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed um, the fact gathering, but I didn't, um, I didn't have the same level of Joy in doing it that I saw the people on the newspaper, um, you know, really had. I was the music editor for a while. I was a music writer my first year and music editor for a couple of years after that of the school paper. Um, And I just didn't get the rush from it that a lot of people did. And I was a little a little dismayed at that. Not really sure what I wanted to do. Um, thought I wanted to be a music writer. Um, because, uh, you know, at my, my origin origin as I am, I am just a music guy through and through that's, you know, some people are film buffs. I'm music is, 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 my thing. It's my passion and my love. And, um, it, it evolved from kind of, uh, you know, pop punk and, and mainstream rock and roll into heavy metal and like the, deepest of underground crazy music my tastes are um, not palatable to anybody else in my household except me um <laughs> that obsession and kind of real um interest in that culture uh made me want to do something in music and so um music journalism was step one i decided that wasn't really what i wanted to do and then i ended up taking a course in communications law uh at american university with um uh, my professor was a shout out to Ashley Messenger at NPR. Um, she uh, she was my professor. She's a lawyer, uh, in-house lawyer at NPR. Um, and her class on communications law, First Amendment, privacy, you know, a little bit of intellectual property, that kind of stuff, is really what made a light bulb go off. And I was like, oh, mm. this is what I want to do. And from there, I just said, all right, I'm applying to law school. And um, let's see if I can get into the music business Um and my my career didn't go directly that way. Um, I ended up doing a much more traditional um, kind of litigation focused law school path. Go to law school, clerk for a judge for a couple of years, go to a big law firm, and then transition to a, a boutique. So it took me many years to get to doing the work that I wanted to do. Um, but, but here I am and, and, you know, I'm very happy doing it.
0: What is the name of your firm? Um, what does it specialize in specifically if anyone listening is like curious about
2: that? Sure. Um, so the firm is Cowan debates, Abrahams and Shepard. It is, uh, an entertainment and media, uh, boutique law firm, um, in the Flatiron district of Manhattan. Um, at least that's where the physical office is. Now we're all kind of scattered, um, but yeah. that's that's where our home base is, uh, and um, we uh, we handle um, uh, all kinds of different matters across the entertainment and media industry, um, from from music to streaming television to film, um, theater. Um, uh, new technology, new media. Uh, we have a group that does um, entertainment uh, and media deal work. Um, lots of stuff like film financing and rights acquisitions and rights clearances and things like that. Um, a group that deals with uh, a lot of kind of tech uh, startups, uh, doing corporate, um, you know, corporate formations and financings and um, you know drafting contracts and things like that. And then my group is the litigation group, which. Nobody wants to come to us unless something goes wrong. you never want to have to call a litigator in. but um, we handle um, disputes when things become contentious. Um, you know we're there either defending or bringing claims in court um, uh, through arbitration or mediation. Uh, and that those fall into different buckets. There's kind of your media and entertainment um, uh, business disputes and then copyright and trademark disputes. Um sometimes right of publicity, defamation defense, first amendment type work um and that uh these types of cases happen within the media and entertainment industries and sometimes outside of that when it's copyright and trademark, sometimes they're not media specific clients, but um by and large the um you know the bread and butter of our of our firm is is media and entertainment
0: that means that as the as content evolves and the format changes, you're able to. You stay sharp, and you're able to keep engaging with your clients, and like stay relevant. As like a, a label needs to be relevant, like as a law firm, you need to be working on laws that are like of the moment, and probably I guess anticipating what's going to happen in the future, being
2: ready. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, the the way the entertainment industry uh, has evolved, um, you know, to really becoming more of a digital streaming kind of over the top, um. Service. I mean, you know, Netflix, Hulu, uh, HBO Max and HBO Go, Amazon Prime, all of these platforms are, are are so recent, they've, and, and have exploded in such big ways in recent years that the deal terms change, the contracts change, the, uh, considerations for what rights you need and, and, the, what business terms are acceptable have changed. So, yeah, you really need to, uh, on the business side, you really need to stay on top of things. And then on the, you know, more kind of litigation and risk management side, the law itself doesn't really evolve all that much. I mean, they, the Copyright and Trademark Acts haven't really changed tremendously in, in recent years, except for the, the Music Modernization Act Um Deals with some very like specific technical things in the the music business, Um, but the interpretations do. I mean, courts come down with decisions all the time that change the way you interpret laws as applied to new technologies, and that's kind of the way it has to be until um, until the legislatures pass laws that catch up with the technology. The um, technology is always, almost, almost always outpacing the law so it's a matter of interpreting it and trying to figure out how to mold it to new situations when the language didn't necessarily contemplate where you are in that moment technologically
0: you have to yeah you have to be informed about these things but also Scott there's this whole I feel like this whole generation and with hip-hop specifically of this well put it on SoundCloud it's a remix it's fine but people don't know this even if you give something away you can't technically remix something and give it away technically right
2: you mean like remixing somebody else's song and then just, just putting it up there without permission? But yeah, like if
0: you took Hey Jude and rapped over it mm-hmm. and then someone who owns the copyright didn't like that, like let's say you did a Flat Earth song over Hey Jude, um, Paul McCartney could could sue you, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, uh, so I think what a lot of people, and this applies to music, but it also applies to other things, visual art and um, literature and, and you know, pretty much all the art forms, I think people assume that there is a quantity that is okay to just use. Oh, if it's less than 10 seconds long, I can use the sample without paying for it. Or if it's, if I'm just taking the chorus and, and sampling that, then that's okay. Um, people think that they can, um, fair use something and they use fair use as like a verb. Fair use is not a verb. It is a very nuanced, gray, mushy legal test that, um, depends on the facts and um and just because you give something away for free or give credit to somebody oh this you know credit to paul mccartney for you know songwriting on this that's that's that doesn't do it that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it especially if if a copyright owner is particularly um you know aggressive or litigious um they they will they will enforce their rights um uh, it, it happens all the time I mean, this is where a lot of the dis- these disputes come up, um, particularly in the entertainment business, um, is that people don't paper things because um, either either they don't have a lawyer um, or don't you know know uh, about the ramifications of not putting things in writing, um, or they don't think it's necessary. They they've worked with the person before, they trust them, they're friends. They oh, this person would never do anything to to hurt right. me, and um, that's I, I've seen that story more times than I. <laughs> than i wish to try to count um and and, it, and it's it's unfortunate and it does it ends up costing a lot of money so i i think that it, the the smart thing to do is to obviously if you can you know means are um you know our are, are question if you don't have the means to do something and you just have to go go for it i guess but if you have the means to to paper it and to have a lawyer look at it and to you know give some more thought to the business side of things up front it, it could save a lot of headache in the long run
0: That's important, and I think anyone listening, content creators, collaborator, people who are collaborating, keep that in mind, especially in this age of, in this post-COVID world where where we're collaborating remotely, and there's more of an opportunity to have this digital trail like that can having an email. I'm sure you've come across this without naming specific cases. Like one email or a few emails can like make a break a break a whole case. I would I would imagine.
2: Yeah, yeah, it happens. I mean, since since email became the primary mode of communication. Email has been like the the big um, treasure trove of documents in in litigation. I mean, you get access to somebody's entire email box. Uh, American style discovery is very invasive and 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 extensive, and you get to you get to read a ton of emails. And sometimes there's a couple that really just are are, are the deal breaker or the or the the, the case maker for you. It, it, it you really can. It, it's you know talk about a smoking gun. There can be a smoking gun email, but, you know, thinking about it from more of a transactional, um, perspective, um, having that email trail is, is helpful in, in establishing what the party's intent was. And, um, you know, there are certain circumstances you may even be able to say that there's a contract through, through email exchange. Mm. Um, that's, I've seen, I've seen that before, um, so yeah, having stuff in writing is important.
0: What do you do for fun and how do you remind yourself that you still love music?
2: Well, I mean music is music still is my, is my number one go to if, if, uh, if I have spare time, anytime I'm out, like if I'm doing errands, or if I'm walking the dog, or if I have to you know take the trash out or whatever, headphones on, what are the new releases this week um, and try to, you know, spend a little bit of time absorbing some of that, some of that great content. Um, so I, I, really do default to, um, to listening to music and, you know, like, like, I said, my, my tastes are not, um, are not exactly mainstream. Uh, and so I check out a lot of the, you know, the metal blogs and, um, Uh, I subscribe to, you know, Decibel Magazine. I read that and get all my new, uh, you know, my new recommendations there. And and I'm always like, okay, I dog ear the pages of the bands that I'm interested in. And then I go on my, uh, uh, you know, my phone and I find it go into my, you know, streaming app and, you know, figure out what I like and what I don't, add that to my library. Um, So I'm always checking out music, always listening to music. Um, Audiobooks, I try to listen to as much audiobook content and, uh, as I can and, and read, um, you know, there's less time to sit down and read a book when I can put on an audiobook and again, go do chores and do whatever I need to do around the house and, and knock out some, uh, some books and short stories that way. Um, and I, and I write, I write, um, I, I, it's more of a recent hobby. I've started doing some, you know, creative writing just to, just to keep my mind, um, in a little bit more of a, uh, uh, of an artistic space and, and, um, just, I get some satisfaction that way. Um, you know, lawyering can be creative in, in some ways, but it's, it's often very technical and, and, you know, can be dry and can be contentious and stressful and all those things together lead me to really need an, you know, an outlet and, um, you know, music and, and books and, and writing are are kind of the the top things that I do. I, you know, try to exercise when I can go running and, um, you know, you need, you need to stay healthy too. But, um, I, I I find that I'm able to separate the business from the content. Mm. Um, I, I do a lot of my, a lot of my work, at least recently has been in, has been more in visual arts. Um, I've had a couple of music cases, I don't have, uh, I have a couple that are kind of semi active, but um, I haven't done a a ton of that um, litigation. But uh, it's so different from the content itself, right? So if I'm thinking about what kind of licenses somebody would need uh, or whether a client did something without permission and what's their level of risk, I can still appreciate listening to music. Because the that that knowledge is so so different from the that the, the side of your brain that's engaged by the art the artistic content so um i'm I'm happy that that this isn't the type of I'm not in the type of situation where that's ruined for me
0: in working in this litigation field, do you feel like artists are kinder than you thought before you became a lawyer and have better intentions or do you now see kind of like like the negative side of 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 the business side of art and how people can be sneaky or and ruthless? Or does that kind of not matter because every case is different?
2: People really, really care about their art. Yeah. And you can tell they care deeply about it and they want to protect it. Um, whether they're the ones pursuing a claim or whether they're the ones defending against a claim, um, there is a real deep respect for the content. And I think a lot of the people, at least the ones that I'm, uh, representing when it, when you're when they're on the defense side, all, are are never doing anything maliciously. Um, it's not like they're taking something and using it and going, haha, I got away with not having to pay for this." It's a lot of times it's, you know, the misconceptions about things on the internet. It's oh, if it's on the internet, I can use it, or this this must be fair use because blah blah blah. Um, it's never. I mean, I won't say never, but I can't remember anything at least in in, in recent years that. Um, anybody did anything on purpose, at least the ones that I'm representing. Um, I I think what you see is, um, like I said, artists care very deeply about their work and um, are are very defensive of their creations. Um, I don't think, I don't think I've been surprised at any um, negativity. I mean, I think a lot of the passion comes from that, that deep, deep level of care for their work. Um, And, uh, you know, but what I have seen is the disparity in power and money uh, is often disconcerting um, because when you're representing a client that is not a major corporation um, and is kind of staring down the barrel of, you know, a gun held by a major corporation saying, you need to pay us this or you know, we'll litigate for the next three years. Um, That's a really tough situation to be in. And I don't think the, and I'm not, you know, going to name any, any companies, but I don't think the big, big companies like that mean to do it out of cruelty. I think they need to um, enforce their rights. They have valuable intellectual property and I totally respect that. Um, and, And that needs to be protected. But, the degree to which it's taken, sometimes, um, in the posturing and um, you know the the uh, the lengths that certain parties will go just to make a point, to make an example out of a content user who may have made a mistake somewhere along the line, has has been a little bit um, uh, disappointing to me. Um, and it's hard to advise clients on that because mm. they're like, well, you know what but i you know how is it worth how are they asking me for this much money when they only would have earned such and such why can't we settle for less and it's kind of like you know they're the ones exerting all the pressure and yeah. and you can only do so much to get them to to be reasonable
0: and and a part of it is like if it gets out that they were exerting this pressure then less people are less likely to violate the copyright laws or whatever so it's setting an example right
2: That that's exactly (laughs) right, Um, and and I've I've seen a couple of instances where that's exactly the strategy is you'll pay us this or we'll make an example out of you publicly, right? Um, And some companies have the power and will to do that, and some others of the same size and the same you know uh, with the same size war chest are much more willing to be like okay, here's let's let's get into business together. Let's do. Something that works for both of us and is more productive, and you know it's hard to tell which which one you're going to deal with unless you've dealt with with them a number of times in the past and know the patterns. But um, that that can be tough. It's a tough part of this this business.
0: I mean, it's it's really you in your field. It's a protracted game of chess where you have to know about also the past history of media, anticipate the future, look at other cases of references. It's like you're constantly playing this this almost like Dungeons and Dragons strategy game that's like forever unfolding. And it must be interesting because it's probably, you never, it's, you never know what to expect and it's never boring being a, being a a media lawyer. Right.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are things that can be somewhat rote, and, you know, you kind of know where this is going and here's how it'll play out. Um, but a lot of the times, especially when you're actually in court and you have a judge, even if you've been before that judge before, you don't know how they're necessarily going to rule on a particular motion or how they're going to decide a um, you know decide a case. Are going to throw it out? Are they going to let it continue? Um, and you never know what you're going to find in the documents. You never know what somebody's going to say in a deposition. Um, I, I had somebody uh, who had a very elaborate story in in their complaint about what had happened. Uh, in a in a particular instance, so when I asked her at her deposition to tell me about it, she said I have no recollection of that. What? And I was just kind of like, okay, what? <laughs> and I had to just stop for a minute and be and and kind of ask myself like, oh, okay, what what do I even do with that?
0: Yeah, because the case was relying on her remembering, right? You just,
2: you can't make this stuff up sometimes. So so yeah, it's definitely it's it's definitely never boring. That's that's for sure.:
0: Are you familiar with a book called "Lords of Chaos?" Oh, yes. Okay. so that this is definitely a pivot, but when you talk about the dynamics that can go uh, go behind the scenes with like groups of people, that story is just that story is crazy, isn't it? And when I first heard, heard that story, and then it made me curious about all the different artists, um, so here's my question for you. In the situation of a band like that, who could own the trademark to Mayhem? Because I know they've had so many iterations of the band. Like, how would you? How would a lawyer like you determine who is the copyright owner of that project? Especially when members die, members are killing each other. (laughs) Like, how how do? How would? How would you deal with a case like that?
2: Oh man, that's so funny because you don't see. uh, uh, I mean, black metal is a very. uh, It's a notorious subgenre, and. you know, there's a lot of a lot of stereotypes about it, and, and I think a lot of that r- arose out of uh, uh, mayhem and and um the Norwegian scene with the church burnings and band members killing each other and whatever. Um, so it, it, it's different in every country. Um, uh-huh. So a band like that in Norway, um, you know, who would own the trademark of the name um, would would largely depend on you know what the laws are in Norway. But um, in in the U.S., it's really all about use. Um, so you don't have to register a mark to. Be able to protect it as long as you're using it, and you have to use it uh, kind of in a a commercial way in connection with the goods and services that you're offering. So, um, a lot of times, if uh, if somebody stops using it, um, let's say one, you know, the band members split off, and you know, two of them are using the name, and one of them has kind of gone off and done his own thing, and then he decides later he wants to reform a band of the same name. Arguably, the ones who are using it are the ones who have the continuing rights. Um, It's really that the U.S. trademark system is really all about uh, about continued use and consistent use to designate um, to use a mark as designating you as the source of your goods or the you know the source of your music. Um, But you know, the, the question question arises: Is there a contract? Was there ever any agreement, oral or written, about who would own it? is it registered and, and, uh, you know, was it, was the registration up? Uh, was it kept up? Um, was it abandoned by anybody? Did it, did somebody assign it? You know, there's all kinds of questions that go into it, but, um, it's very, it'd be very fact specific. Uh, but yeah.
0: you talk about how it's a notorious subgenre and with, uh, with black metal, it seems like that story transcends people's actual awareness of naming any mayhem songs, right? Like, um, like what's what's one of the songs, the freezing moon or something? That's one of the yeah. only songs I know. And um, <laughs> but I know I know all about the story about that about what happened. And it's just it's interesting because okay, so when the inter-band dynamic is such that it's so fraught that that then gives the brand longevity and publicity, right? It's like in that situation, could you argue potentially? this is like a ridiculous hypothetical that <laughs> whoever caused the most fraught dynamic has a, more of a claim to the name because the controversy came from that dynamic. Or is that like a, uh, is that ridiculous?
2: It would be a novel argument. I think uh, I, uh, yeah, it, it kind of goes back to the question of use. Like, are they, what are they using it in connection with it, At least, you know, okay. it, under, under us law, if, if you're using the band name, let's say, you know, for mayhem, for example, in connection with providing, Music, recorded music, live music, streaming music, whatever. Um, the controversy and the violence and the you know the uh, shenanigans are, are not necessarily related to the service that you're you're off. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think the big question would be who's using it in connection with music. Um, right. Okay. But it's inter- that would be a super interesting question under under other systems of law around around the world. Maybe that would mm. be a consideration. I don't know.
0: There's this notion that. Truth might not exist anymore, but you're in the business of finding that and proving that it does. And that's really refreshing and important. And I don't know that's why it's interesting to talk about this stuff with you because th- Scott, do you think truth exists?
2: Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, I mean, look, there's there are multiple sides to every story, you know, everyone says, oh, there's um you know two sides to every story. I think there's probably a lot more than that. Um, yeah, but at the core, there is something that happened. Um, and I think you can get as close to that as humanly possible. Um, and there is a, there are facts. There are, you know, people don't make up their own facts uh, as much as um, certain people would like us to believe. Um, right. Facts are what they are. They're provable. There's documentation. Sometimes it's subject to interpretation. Sometimes, um you know what those facts are is colored by people's recollections, and and you know a lot of times uh, you know, I'm not a you know neurologist or scientist of any sort, but it, at least in, in, in my experience, uh, a lot of times your memories are colored by um, experience and what you believe happened. So there is some variation in terms of well, you know that's the memory that's in my head. Maybe it's not the exact same as somebody else who was there. Um, You know, you've got three people watching an event. Everybody's going to have a slightly different take on it, but there are certain basic facts at the heart of that event that I that I think are are you know indisputable.
0: Part of your job becomes deciphering from all the different perspectives what actually happened and proving that right. I mean, that's that's the whole that's the core of of. Of the law.
2: Yeah, it is. It, it's a. It's a. It's really a fact-finding exercise, and you know, obviously you need to know how to apply the law and how to mold the arguments and be persuasive, write persuasively, speak persuasively. Um, it's. It's. Um. Litigating is a very different kind of art form from drafting and you know negotiating a merger or you know something like that. Um. But yeah, it really is about figuring out what the facts are and kind of understanding what happened and who did what and who said what and. Unfortunately, you have to then leave it up to somebody else to make the decision, whether it's a judge or a jury, but, um, you know, the facts are there.
0: Is intent a valuable thing to consider, or is intent not matter when it comes to copyright violations?
2: It doesn't matter for purposes of liability, right? So copyright infringement is what's known as a strict liability I don't know whether you call it a tort or a, you know, offense. It's not, it's a civil, you know, civil offense. There are criminal aspects of copyright infringement in in certain contexts, but that's, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, So you don't have to have intended to do anything um, in order to be liable for infringement. Where intent comes in is if you infringed willfully under certain circumstances, uh, a rights owner might be entitled to enhanced damages. Mm, if if they deem that you did it on purpose and intentionally. And so that's really where it comes in. But there are also technicalities that need to be met in order to even get to that point.
0: If someone makes a meme, right, that has the Drake, you know, like the Drake meme where he's like pushing away and then he's like thumbs up. Yeah. um, Could, is that illegal, first of all? And could someone like Drake hypothetically have a case and sue someone who made that meme happen? And then if it gets to a point where it's like, everyone's posting it, like, what power would someone like that have?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's memes are really interesting. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure if there has been litigation over those. It wouldn't surprise me if there if there had been. But um, so whether something is you know per se unlawful, um, I, I, I tend to not go there and saying you know everything is. This definitely would be okay, or this definitely wouldn't be okay. I think you get it with things like memes. I think you get into territory of fair use. Okay. And that's where you really need to figure out how much did the person use of the, so let's say it's a photograph of Drake. So Drake doesn't necessarily own that photograph. The photographer does or whoever, whoever that photographer sold it to. Um, So there's one, there's one rights holder. It's, you know, who owns the photograph How much was done to transform the photograph into to have a different purpose from its original purpose, which you know is depicting Drake, whether it be in you know tabloids or you know the music press or whatever? Um, Did it hurt the licensing market for it? Um, Those are the kinds of factors that you consider, and it's again going back to what we were talking about before about everything being fact specific. You want to talk about fact specific? Fair use is like one of the biggest pieces of cup of copyright law that is totally fact specific. Mm. Um, almost no two cases are going to be the same. Um, but you know, that, that kind of co- could potentially cover you on the copyright side. Does Drake have a claim for, you know, using his right, his, his likeness, um, regardless of who owns the copyright. That's kind of the other question is if you're depicting a recognizable person, they might have a commercial interest in the value of their appearance. Uh, for something like a meme, I, it's hard to it's hard it's hard for me to believe that there would be a lot of money to be made from from that. I don't think it's uh, it's necessarily usurping a, a commercial opportunity. It's memes are not commercial uses. But um, the thing about the right of privacy and publicity is that it's different. It differs by state. Okay. So, oh wow. Th- there's no federal right of publicity law. Um, so. It all depends on where the user is and where Drake is, and you know uh, what what the context of the use was. Was it um, some states require commercial use and some don't? Some require uh, you know advertising or trade use, and some have different language. So that will that will depend on on what law applies, and that that can often be a complicated analysis. But um, but to your point about the kind of proliferation of these things all over the internet and what can somebody yeah. do about it. That's really a question of enforcement. Like, does an artist like Drake or, you know, Taylor Swift or whoever is depicted in the meme, do they really want to start enforcing their rights against things like that? Um, I don't know.
0: The Streisand effect. Have you heard of that? Yes. That term? <laughs> yes, yeah. for sure. You try to squelch it, then it's just going to be like, this is the thing Drake tried to stop from coming out. Yep.
2: <laughs> that's exactly right. And I think that yeah. is a, that's a practical consideration for a lot of celebrities, um, you know what's how is this going to impact my image and you know look if you're if you're potentially waiving rights or prejudicing yourself by not policing your rights then there's something to be said for for going after you know uh, egregious offenses but I mean the internet is so vast and social media is so vast that uh, it's I think it's impossible to police everything and it's it's really like a game of whack-a-mole a lot of times you take down one thing and then another one another the same thing pops up on a different Platform or through a different server or something like that. So, um, you know, uh, rights owners really kind of need to decide where to allocate their resources a lot, and uh, you know whether it's really that important to chase things like that.
0: It's like we were talking about. It's like a game of chess, right? It's mm-hmm. like you, as a rights holder, you probably have to think like that. And do you think? Do you think okay, where your career is going to be in five years, ten years? Like, do you think you'll be doing different things, or do you think you'll just be a different version of the of the same? Process, you know. I wanted to end on that.
2: Yeah. No. I think in terms of, of my own career, I, I, you know, from where I'm sitting now, I, I see it. Um, I see myself being a more, uh, you know, advanced and more experienced version of of myself in a in a slightly different and more advanced world. Um, I'm very happy doing what I do. Um, I want to continue. Uh, you know, in this in this line of work, I, I enjoy it, um, and I I would hope that. My career would just continue to, you know, move as it has been, and um, you know, represent clients and all, you know, these different areas. I'm I'm on both sides of a lot of things. I, you know, I I do a lot of defense work, but I also do um, some some plaintiff side or you know content owner side work, um, and it's it, it's enjoyable, um, and I would like to continue doing that, especially as these art forms and technology advance. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of developments in, in VR and AR and, um, mm. you know, interactive content, um, that I think is going to lead to le- really interesting, uh, legal issues and could potentially at some point, if, uh, if the if Congress ever gets around to it, uh, changing the copyright law. And I, and I'm, uh, I, I think it's, it's well overdue. The last one was passed in, you know, the late seventies, um, with some modifications in the late nineties to, to account for, for digital content, but it hasn't really been overhauled since then. And I think it needs to catch up with, with the times. And that'll be really interesting. That'll be like a watershed day in my career when a new copyright act is passed and everything will change. And it'll be really interesting to kind of start over with a new body of uh, creating a new body of case law. So I think that'll be really interesting. Um, in terms of the future of of, of music and content, um, you know, it's interesting. I I think a lot about um, about download the song when I think about this question because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, you had said music was a product and now it's a service, and that's that's really true. I mean, it's you're you're not so much buying a, a, a product anymore as you, you have access to a massive library of content and then the products are really on kind of the merch side and, you know, special vinyl releases and cassettes and, uh, you know, um,
0: tickets, right? Tickets to shows. Oh yeah. What's that hoodie you're wearing? That's tight.
2: That's dissection. That's another black, black metal band. Um,
0: that's tight logos.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's one of the, one of the great things about, about, uh, these bands is that the logos and the artwork are just, are just awesome. Um, but I, I think um, you know the product aspect of it has really moved towards um, towards things like that. Whereas the music itself is uh, is part of the service that you pay for, and that's going to have that whole system is is controversial. Um, artists, a lot of artists think they're not you know paid paid enough through services like Spotify and, and Google Play and um, you know all the other streaming services that are out there. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves and whether there's any further legislation or, um, you know, alternative services, I think music has become a lot more DIY. Um, and, and probably will continue that way, which is not to say that you don't need labels. Um, labels I think will always be there in some capacity. Um, but with Bandcamp and, you know, SoundCloud and, um, you know, there's this very kind of new DIY, Ethic to a lot of this, um, you know, recording. And I you can record on on GarageBand uh, or Logic or whatever, and r- make your own content. To, it's just just a matter of marketing it. Um, so I think things will probably continue to go that way as the technology increases and, and um, becomes even more sophisticated. And then media itself is really, you know, we're kind of in a golden age of TV and um, there are so many streaming services out there and they keep coming out with more of them Um, uh, in in different variants. Quibi is, you know, short form, that that's kind of like a new, a new thing um, and has, has gotten a lot of attention. And um, with, and with COVID, I think, you're you're still seeing a lot of content creation. Unfortunately, a lot of productions have had to stop because of because of it. Um, but the deals are still being made. The rights are still being acquired. Um, content is still coming out, and I think the way things are made could potentially change. Um, but I don't think there's necessarily going to be much of a slowdown. There's so much of a there's so much demand for it. You know, people are at home and and probably have a lot more time to consume content uh, I think it's uh, I think we're in an, an age where the content will just continue to come and, and the creators will find a way to make it um you know ideally with in conjunction with keeping everyone as safe as possible but um yeah I mean maybe they'll find ways to create content remotely too that a lot of a lot of you know shows have done that but who knows there could be a way to make movies that way too
0: yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting because the technology will shift and the laws will shift and evolve. And um, I guess the hope is that we don't become fatigued from our screens, right? And I, I wonder if you have that sometimes just all day, especially with all the stuff you have to read and now and like doing this podcast, like you're always having to be engaged with a screen and that... We don't know the long-term effects of that yet.
2: I think it, it, it has probably gotten worse with um, you know with the pandemic because you're not having in-person meetings or having Zoom meetings. And I have you know sometimes I'll have catch-ups with friends from college or friends from high school on Zoom, and every so often one of them will one of them will say, I, "I'm not joining tonight. I've been on Zoom all day. I can't spend another half an hour on the computer." Um, so I think that's that is taking a toll on on people. But I don't know. People seem pretty dedicated to their content. Yeah. Um, I think a computer screen is a little bit different from the TV screen, and um, uh, I, I don't think I don't think the content's going anywhere because of that. But but I do think that um, it'll be interesting to see where this whole screen fatigue and and um, phenomenon goes, and like what are people? What's the long term impact on people's brains and children's brain development, and you know kids going to zoom school. Uh, it's all very strange. We live in a really strange time.
0: We're living in the future. It got sped up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I have never seen a sci-fi movie that predicted this.
0: This podcast has been very useful and, um, thank you for all the information and for following my kind of disjunct, um, questions, because I think we, there's a lot of content creators who listen to this podcast and I think it's been helpful, man. And I appreciate your time. So thank you, man.
2: Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was awesome talking to you. Are
0: you on social media at all? If people want to like just follow you or and your thoughts and stuff like that.
2: Uh, Twitter is just um, I think it's just Scott Shoulder. Yeah, Instagram's the same. Um, just at Scott Shoulder.
0: Follow Scott for, for more more information and uh, thank you, man. This has been tight.
2: Thanks, Lars. Appreciate it.
0: Dissection. Thank you again, Scott. A great interview. We will be back in two weeks on Martin Luther King Day. That is January 18th for episode number 116 with Peter Augustin, who is friends or was friends with MF Doom and put out a lot of his early records. And we talk about his career as an agent, um, as a producer, as a DJ. Just interesting dude who got his start in Northern California. So uh, check that out next episode. Thanks again, Scott. We'll see you then. Peace.